This is from Colossians 2:16 through 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its two regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Peter. So, one of the things that you're probably going to recognize and realize as I am up here and as I am preaching, you're going to realize, hey, I think we've heard this sermon before. Right? You're going to be like, why is he repeating himself? Here's why. Because the Bible seems to repeat itself in, with regard to the problems and the, the default mode of all the world. And so it keeps repeating itself. Why does it repeat itself? Because it's important. And why? Because if I was serious about myself and gave myself the correct evaluation of my own heart, I would realize that I am dense. I do not understand things often, so what I need to do is at times beat my head with the truth. That's what Paul's doing. So over and over and again in this letter, he's repeating himself. Moralism will kill you. And specifically this time, he's starting to hint at something that is destroying us now, especially here in the 21st century, and all of us having a cell phone, or not even a cell phone, cell phones are like, you know, the flip phones, those giant microwaves that like Zach, Zach from uh, Say by the Bell had, you know, that's, that's a cell phone. What we have are smartphones, we have like mini computers, we're like straight up Star Trek in it, okay, and that's, that's pretty cool, right, but... It has driven us into a time in which comparison is everywhere. We always have the opportunity and the chance to compare ourselves to see how our standing is doing at all times. And so today we're learning about how comparison kills, how comparison kills. This is about Christianity in the Instagram world. Let's take, for instance, Lila. Lila, she's a typical millennial. She's absorbed in her social media world. She wakes up alone in her downtown loft apartment, rolls over in bed, and checks her phone. She has countless number of notifications from Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and she's told that President Trump has sent another tweet. Oh, yay. She first, as a measure of self-control, goes to the Weather Channel to know if she can wear that sweater she got from Stitch Fix, you know, that she looks real cute in, before plunging into her typical routine. She clicks Instagram to see that her friends were out on the town last night, getting drinks, taking selfies, and posting about their super cool Lyft driver. But she wasn't there. And a knot tightens in her stomach. 
Lila goes onto Facebook to see that her mom and sister enjoyed a wonderful hike out in the mountains. And, but, of course, it was without her. She realizes that she only got 90 likes on her last post about serving in the downtown soup kitchen. In comparison, her sister's selfie on the hike got 300 likes. What's wrong with people? All the comparison on social media begins to expose her insecurities. She begins to sweat. She all at once feels, uh, she feels little and insignificant. She feels anxious. But hey, a new rush of likes on her Instagram about her sweater is crushing it. She's dressed now, heads to her favorite coffee shop. There in line, she checks her Coffee Meets bagel app to see if there will be a lunch possibility. Upon looking at it, she realizes that the odds are good, the odds are good but uh, the goods are odd. She secretly wonders if she's really even dating material. She compares herself to others who were her friends on social media who've gotten married, and she begins to pass judgment on herself. She takes a pic pic of her latte art before capping it and posts it to Instagram, reads a tweet from some Christian social media influencer about how true Christians would never let so-and-so get away with whatever they do in hopes they'll be shamed out of doing that. She walks out of the shop and will continue on her way comparing herself to everyone on social media. She'll judge herself endlessly today. She'll judge others as well. She will feel more insecure about herself. She will fight harder to, f- to make herself more noticed. She'll, feel, she'll fight to feel more valued. And all this will happen through the endless world of screens. With each like, she'll evaluate her standing and feel validated. With each, with each dismissal, with each time someone ignores her posts, she'll feel less of a human. And this has become the way of getting transcendence in our world today, to make us feel permanent, to give us a standing in the world. We need likes. We need validation. And we seem to get that through social media. And it's not just, you know, 35s to 25s, those millennials are so crazy. no. There's a lot more to that. She, Lila, is fragile. At any moment, she could lose her footing in the world. She, like many of us, are more connected, but at the same time, we're more alone. We desire community, but can't face being found out. We put a veneer of strength on on social media and wear the cloak of shame in front of the mirror. That's our day-to-day reality. Millennials are self-assured on the outside, but fragile on the inside. It is noted that we're in a time of a mental health crisis. Highest rates of suicide are amongst teenagers, Gen Zers, people who are still in high school, middle school even, and in college. And young baby boomer men and older Gen Xer men are also apt to commit suicide, to take their own lives. And at the base of this, is this constant world of comparison. This depression and loneliness is compounded by the exhaustion of having to perform to achieve our own vindication on the stage of, of social media, in the courtroom of our phones. We're worn out, fearing it will never end. At the heart of it is this comparison. Comparison is wearing us down. It's exhausting us. You see, comparison is the strength for moralism. Without comparison, moralism cannot live. It's always 
focused on, like, you have to compare yourself to someone to see if you're validated or vindicated. You always look at everyone else's performance. If they're doing good, you feel less about yourself. If you feel, if they're, if you're doing better than someone else, I feel better about myself. We always feel like we're missing out. We see our friends posting on social media and wondering, why wasn't I stinking invited? And we have FOMO, to the highest degree, uh, fear of missing out, just in case you need to know what that was. And this is possible within Christianity too, too. We compare how Christian we are, you know, how religiously devout we are, how woke we are, how doctrinally sound we are, how we voted. And all this is to, to place our justification on something other than Jesus. Comparison is what causes us to feel disappointed also in our spouse, in our dating relationship. To feel disappointed in our kids and not be gracious to them. We're always thinking that the grass is greener on the other side. We're always thinking that it can be better. That my spouse can be better. And at times then we're also dangerously uh, uh, fearful knowing that we can always be better. We have to be better for someone else. To perform. And it's exhausting. I could stand up here. And if no one told me, if no one tells me I appreciated your sermon, it'll cut to my heart. You know that? It's the way comparison works. It makes us insecure. And in this endless world of social media, it is always in our faces. It's always in our face. But at the heart of our text is, is that in the relationship with Jesus as your king, as he is your Lord, as he is your God, as he is your representative, you have died to comparison because you are condemned if you do and condemned if you don't. And you have suffered the death of condemnation. So you're condemned if you do, condemned if you don't. And you have suffered the death of condemnation. So you're condemned if you do, condemned if you don't. Paul here puts out two cautions. One says, let no one pass judgment on you. And the second one is, let no one disqualify you. They're there because someone has been teaching that there is more to Christianity than just Jesus. That through doing some things or abstaining from others, you can, be, you can live the full Christian life. The moralist will ask you to compare your lifestyle to others to determine whether or not you're really a Christian. You know, uh-oh, you, you didn't have your quiet time. You might not be a Christian. You know, like, well, that's a big jump, man. In the end, moralism will cause you to feel insecure in your standing upon Jesus Christ by placing your security on your works and, rather than Jesus' works. Do you understand how subtle and sneaky this is? No one just decides one day, I'm going to stop I'm going to stop trusting in Jesus' justification for me and I'm going to uh, work really hard and I'm going to place my justification in my standing on, in life on, uh, I don't know, how many times I have a quiet time. Nobody does that. What happens is it becomes sneaky. It's real sneaky. You start to feel like, like well, I don't even know about myself. I don't even know if I'm a Christian because I haven't had, you know, time, I didn't spend time reading the Bible. I didn't, I didn't go and help the poor. And you start to slouch in. And what you start to do then, and other people's like, what you need to do is you need to be disciplined, set some time, read the Bible, 
You need to go set some time. Go be disciplined. Go out and, and, and uh, help the poor. And suddenly what you have done is you have jumped on a performance treadmill without knowing it. It's like they cranked it up real slow. At one point, you're just kind of walking along on the performance treadmill, and you're like, yeah, no big deal. And suddenly it's at 11, and you're sprinting. You know? That's what happens. It's slow. So he says, let no one pass judgment on you. And the first part, when he starts to say, uh, let no one pass judgment on you is in questions of food and drink. So that's like telling you what to abstain. Like you can't eat these foods. You can't drink these foods. It's like, you know, keep kosher and with thing, and, um, it, or with regard to a festival. So you have to keep these things or do these things. And so they are kind of these Jewish uh, symbols, it, symbols in which you show your standing in this tribe to show how Jewish or religious you are. And so people are telling, like, well, a real Christian would abstain from these things. And a real Christian would follow these festivals. You're not doing them? Uh-oh. You're missing out. That's the way it typically kind of goes on. And so this ends up, ends up kind of pushing the person into performance. But life like this is going to be inherently lonely, it's going to be inherently lonely. You want to know why? Because you're always comparing yourself. You can't possibly let anyone see what is really going on. You can't possibly tell anybody how you're really feeling, how you have any real doubts, how maybe even you're, you're scared and sad and you don't even know what's going on. You can't possibly tell anyone that because in this way of Christianity, this moralistic view tells you you need to be irreproachable. You need to be good all the time. You need to just tell, I'm fine, I'm fine. How you doing? I'm good. That's the way you are. You can't really tell, let anyone into your junk. Can't let anyone into the hard things. And the problem is, everyone knows you're faking. Everybody knows you're faking. Here's the deal. Um, I'm standing here knowing that y'all are a bunch of sinners. You want to know why? Because I look at myself in the mirror knowing that I'm a sinner. And I need Jesus. So we're in this together. The charade is up. You can't secure your positive judgment by your effort. But we all desperately need this judgment. We all need a just judgment and a justification for our life. Every child that cries in insecurity needs the positive verdict of a mother's hug. Every lonely person needs the validation of friendship. But if you base your standing, your validity in the world based on your works, you're only as secure as your next performance. If you base your standing on your works, you're only as secure as your next performance. Christianity says, and Paul says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. How we try to get it? Oh, it's by faith. Confessing and turning to Jesus as the judgment for your life. Jesus is the substance of all that you yearn for in the courtroom where your judgment is pronounced. As another has said it, Christianity is the only religion that moves your judgment from the future to the past. Your judgment is not outstanding. It's in the past, in Jesus Christ. Paul says that Jesus is the substance that we need to make our lives substantial. And so he talks about these, he says, these Jewish kind of things, the abstaining, the festivals, they're all shadows 
of the substance, the reality that is Jesus Christ. And so he talks about those shadows, those are inferior. Why would you go back to those when the superior Jesus Christ has come? The true prophet, the true king, the true priest. You know, these, the shadow land of ethnic badges of righteousness showing that you can stand on these things, those have been done away with. You've, the time and reign of comparison is dealt with. It's dead. He's everything. Jesus is everything that the Old Testament was looking for. He's the true tabernacle, the true temple, the true Israel. He's the true judgment for your life. We're all longing for something to make us substantial. And that is the heart of many social media posts. Every social media post, in some way, we are trying to make ourselves go from just the shadow, from feeling like a shadow, to feeling like we have substance. And then he says, let no one disqualify you. So what does it mean to be qualified? It means that the ground, it's the ground for your witness. Notice Paul says, I didn't do anything. I received it. Here he says that the growth is from God. So his qualification in ministry, the qualification in the world, your qualification is from God himself, from Jesus. It's what validates the message. So this person who is snuck into this church and is trying to tell them some moralistic Christianity says this. Uh, the word of, uh, you, you know what you need to do is you need some asceticism, which means to discipline the body in a violent way to make it do what you want it to do. So you deny yourself, you fast for 40 days, you do those things in order that you would be approved. Another one he talks about is angel worship. It, the, way the, the way it is written isn't necessarily to worship angels directly. What it means is to worship like angels, to speak in a language like the angels, to worship as angels do. That's what it means by angel worship. And so what he says is, oh, when you get together, you sing psalms, you, read the, you, you talk about the apostles' teaching, you break bread together. That isn't right. Let me teach you how to worship like the angels. And so there's a number of things. He then builds up his position, this person, on visions. I had this vision. They're puffed up without reason. They're prideful. They have a sensuous mind, it says. And this false teaching could be very pervasive and persuasive. It starts to slowly or eventually take over the truth of the gospel in a church. Have you ever been to a local church, a small church, and never heard the name of Jesus? That what was preached on Sunday could have been preached at a mosque? They've been disqualified. They've gone back to the shadow land. And it's a warning. And Jesus needs to be front and center because he says that, um, let's, let's take a look at the text. He says, um, here he says this, let, uh, disqualify you insisting on asceticism. But he says this, um, and the, at the base of it is that it's not holding fast to the head. Not holding fast to the head who is Jesus Christ. Somehow Jesus has been abandoned. And once again, 
moralism or your performance has taken over as the center or your standing in life. And so, what, what is the qualification we need? He says you need to be joined to the head. We need Jesus. So growth is from God. Christian growth is in unity together in a church. Christian growth is in Jesus. Understanding how he stands for us, he qualifies us, and it's not our own doing. So this unity with other people is more than casual investment. It's more than like, hey, I go to that church because they have good music. No. What it is is that you find your identity or your life amongst a bunch of people who find their life and their identity in the person of Jesus Christ. That he is my everything. And it's also at the base of it is not a confession that I have it all together. It is not a confession that I am squeaky clean and people should like me. At the base of it is the confession that I am a sinner desperately needing, uh, needing Jesus Christ to stand in for me. And so you could look at the person next to you and say, you got sin? Me too. You struggling with something difficult? Me too. Let's live life together following Jesus, encouraging one another in the gospel. That is why he says that they are holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows together with a growth that is from God. Grows together with a growth that is from God. So the unity is unity in Jesus Christ and the confession of our sins and that he is the one who makes us just. And so this is for rich, poor, Democrat, Republican, white, black, young and old, boomer and millennial, all together needing Jesus Christ. Allowing us to sit together and eat from the same loaf of bread because we all take Jesus Christ and we take it into us knowing that he's the head, the one who nourishes us, his body. And so that is our qualification. And so that we are on mission together. But so what do we need to do? We need to train in grace. We need to build habits of grace. We need to pound into our head this truth about Jesus Christ. And the growth is from God. And every day it works is from our union in Jesus Christ. Our relationship with Jesus. But... That isn't so hard. To, that isn't so easy to do, is it? I watch kung fu movies, okay, like Bruce Lee style. Yes, Bruce Lee style. And the thing that always got me as a young person was that the soundtrack it was dubbed later, and so you would see Bruce Lee say things like, "Karate kick you in your head." I'm like, how in the world did he do that? What is he saying? And so the Christian life is not reading the lips of Bruce Lee. It is seeing, hearing the words of Jesus Christ. So we don't follow necessarily what we see oftentimes, like we see on social media, all this comparison in which to judge ourselves is either good or bad, but rather what we do is we listen to the soundtrack that is being played over it, the dubbing. Because if you follow the lips of Bruce Lee, you're going to get messed up. In more ways than one, but I like my kung fu movies. And so that's what we need to do. So let no one 
to uh, pass judgment on you. Let no one disqualify you because, you want to know something? You're condemned if you do, you're condemned if you don't. But you're only judged, you only get the positive verdict in Jesus Christ. But we have died the death of condemnation. You have died to the elemental spirits of the world, he says. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? And notice it says this. He says, he says um, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, you know? And so he's referring to all these things that are perished, that are used. They are human precepts, human teachings. And are you going to base yourself on that? Because what happens if you start basing yourself on all these human teachings? You can look down at other people. You can compare. Like, I'm better than so-and-so. At least I haven't killed anybody. Like, if, that, if that's the basis for you being a good person, congratulations. You know? But that isn't it. That isn't it. The moralists in Colossians can only get you to doubt. What is already true of you in Jesus, but he can't take away what is already true of you. He can get you to doubt but he can't take it away. It happens by promoting self-religion, the self, the strength of the self. And it's appealing because it says it looks wise. Look how it makes me look. Look how awesome and religious I will look to everybody else. I've done this. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tweet about it. Or I'm going to Instagram it in order that every like I get validation. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying social media is evil, okay? It could be used for really good things. But when we use it to always compare ourselves or compare others or to make ourselves feel secure in the world, it's a lousy tool to make yourself feel secure in the world. So, for example, uh, so so one thing you need to know is moralism, more self-made religion, doesn't stop the indulgence, and the problems in your heart. It promotes more moralism. It promotes more loneliness. It promotes more self-hatred. It promotes more self-judgment. It has no power to stop the indulgence in the flesh, it says. So, for example, someone might say, eh. you know, moralists will say, I don't watch R-rated movies like those sensual people. <laughs> yeah, sure, but you sure do like to gossip a lot. No, my kids go to the best schools. Okay, but uh, you don't lift a finger to stop your shopping addiction. I read uh, multiple systematic theologies, but you're abusive toward your family. I am productive with my time. Yeah, but you hate sinners. Oh, I don't judge people who post memes or judge other people on Twitter, but you still have to reckon with your pride. Oh, you know, my spouse and I, we have never needed to go to counseling. We're so awesome. Uh, yeah, but you're only good at conflict avoidance because you talk superficially and you never show each other affection. Oh, I'm so woke. Okay, but you haven't actually spent time serving the poor, but you tweet about it. I love the environment. You drive an SUV. I eat farm to table, but you buy your clothes from sweatshops. I only use the correct political labels. Yeah, but you're addicted to porn. See, grace is the only thing that can change the heart. Not more moralism. 
You will only need more moral. You will only have. You will always need more moralism in order to give yourself the positive verdict. More moralism produces more moralism. It's a never-ending cycle. And so Paul is saying, no, what you need is grace. What you need is Jesus. Grace changes the heart. Moralism can only manipulate you into slavery. I heard this from another pastor. High is a character. He's in a, uh, one of the series of Vietnamese vignettes, which is a fancy word for short films. And High is infatuated with a beautiful woman. And this woman, she's in love with all the wonderful things, fine things in the world. She loves fine hotels, fine dining, fine jewelry. And she wants to feel like she belongs there, like that is her place. And the only way that she's able to get that is through her job. She's a prostitute. She never really feels like she has a standing there, but High loves her even though he could never afford her. So he enters a cyclo race, which is a uh, cross between bicycle and rickshaw, and High works hard and gives it his all, and he wins the prize, $50. And he buys her and brings her to a fine hotel. But instead of manipulating her, into one night of sensuous pleasure. He lets her sleep. He lets her rest and belong to the world she desperately wants. She doesn't have to perform. She doesn't have to be anything that she's not. Let's her sleep. He's gone the next morning. She gets up and tries to go to her old life and find that she cannot. Why? Because of grace. She got the standing, her ability to belong, not because of the performance, but because someone gave everything so she can belong there. And that's the heart of Christianity. It says that the way of Christianity is that we're dead to this old way of living. Dead to the comparison game. Dead to the performance game. Those things are just shadow lands. Where the real substance is in the person of Jesus Christ. Those are the old ways of living. Because on the cross we see Jesus spending himself for us. That we may die to the way of moralism. Jesus is the one who takes all the riches of his winning, winnings and graciously gives himself for us so that we can have true freedom. Freedom from comparison, the freedom from moralism, the freedom from the jail of loneliness. Once you get that at the heart, you begin to change. You have real change because you're living new life. And this is from God, not moralism. Let us pray. Almighty God, we are saved by grace and grace alone. We will reach the end by grace and grace alone. It is your goodness, your commitment to us that will see us from beginning to end. It is your work in your people uniting us together so that we may confess that we don't have it all together, but that we may strive 
with each other. In union with Jesus Christ. To love one another through the hard times, through our sin, that we may confess our sin and turn to you. I pray, Lord, that you would transform us by your grace as we partake of your visible grace in broken bread and poured out wine. Because you have given your body and your blood so that we may be dead to sin and alive to righteousness, alive to Jesus. Lord, meet us now in this meal. Transform us by the power of your word, so that we may take it out of these doors and show them what death to moralism, death to comparison looks like, and that we may breathe the free air And give freedom to captives everywhere. Be with us now in this meal, Lord. Awaken our hearts to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.